Brilliant. <laughs> Thanks for coming despite the weather. Uh, you might have noticed that there was a change in the title of my talk, uh, and the reason is that, uh, well, I've been trying to figure out, uh, well, my interests are a little bit tangential to the, um, to the main topics of this conference, so I came here mostly to learn, and I was trying to think of a topic that could be of interest. And I noticed there was, during the last week, a major evolutionary transition, so in the beginning we were all talking about game theory, and suddenly we went into biology. So I decided that this topic was maybe more close to what people are discussing about. And uh, well, this topic started when uh, David Nelson was visited uh, us in Copenhagen when I was there as a postdoc. And uh, at that time, he was interested, well, he's still interested in experiment of um, neutral competition or non-neutral competition in structured populations. So the image I'm sh showing here is a inoculation of two uh, neutral, uh, believed to be neutral strains of E. coli. And what you can see is a range expansion where uh, essentially uh, these domains are caused by genetic segregation. So because of the correlation in the reproduction process, you create this domain that, uh, that expands in space. So the question we have been uh, discussing about is uh, can, we, can one use the idea that, uh, that allows to understand uh, the um, population dynamics of structured populations in a more complicated case that is in a, in a fluid environment. So here, this is a picture of a plankton bloom in the Barents Sea in the north of Norway. And you can see that uh, the, the lighter color is plankton, which is uh, photosynthetic. And of course, uh, the problem is much more, differ much more difficult, perhaps, because uh, uh, you don't have a uniform uh, density. But uh, you have uh, rather complicated structures which are organized by the fluid flow. So we, of course, this problem is pretty complicated, but we wanted to see if one can think about some simple ideas to adapt uh, the models one uses in uh, spatial population genetics to, to this kind of uh, settings. So I'll uh, tell you a bit about some evidences of the role of uh, transport uh, in, uh, in uh, population genetics and population dynamics, and then I'll tell you about this, uh, this model. So there was a recent paper by Pringle et al. Uh, last year, well, now two years ago, where they observed uh, two uh, variants of a crab species along the North American uh, eastern coast. And um, what they observed was uh, essentially that uh, the northern variant here, which is in black, was invading along the coast. So as time passed, uh, in this experiment lasted for 10 years or so, they saw that uh, you know, more, more and more sites were progressively uh, dominated by the black variant. And these two variants are, are believed to be neutral, so they, uh, they are just actually following uh, the dynamics of a neutral marker of these, uh, of these two species. So how, what they, is, how is that determined that they're neutral? Uh, well, that's, that's what they believe, but... Uh, well, I, okay, I, I come to that in one second. Um, so they serve essentially a sort of Fisher wave behavior. So this is, uh, I think, is the front of uh, the you know, this uh, this variant which uh, advances. And the conclusion is that if there is a, if there were a genetic advantage of this variant, it's very unlikely to be so large to explain the speed of this wave. This is uh, this is their claim. So they believe it to be neutral, but even if there is an advantage, it's very unlikely to be so big because they are essentially, I mean, they look phenotypically the same. That, that's what they say. 
So the explanation is that uh, the invasion is not caused by, by a genetic advantage, but rather by, by currents. So these, uh, these guys basically uh, leave the, the larvae on the coast, and the larvae are transported by the currents. So there is an effective uh, advantage of the species, which is upstream, which is able to invade because it's much easier for the larvae to be transported downstream than vice versa. Why is, do you say there's a net advantage? The, the white variant has a net advantage further south. It's just a, yeah, it's just a, it, it's a conservative it, process. It's just a direction. Uh, yes, but uh, you don't have periodic boundary conditions if you want. So we, there is one which stays here and the other stays here. And then, of course, I, I don't know if they can, can go all the way to, <laughs> to the South Pole. So you know, at some point, they will be not adapted. So they don't have the. I just wonder why you use the word advantage. You just have a, a higher source of immigrants. Just the source, source, same source situation. Well, I don't know if I agree, because if, if you think that uh, uh, this is not infinite, I mean, at some point, there will be a region in which they, they cannot live, for example. But I mean, at some point, the, the northern variant will invade completely the, all the available space. No, because at the northern boundary of the, the black variant, you have the same problem. The current is going south. It's a conservative then, process. You, it's not that they, they move south. The larvae move south, so these these are not uh, they they stay here. You, you see what I mean? It's just it's okay. What you're saying is fine. I just was confused by okay. the terminology. You agree? Fine. Well, let me, let me make sure that I agree. <laughs> the point of view of Halifax, what what James is saying is is I believe correct that the black are going to be coming in from the north with the help of the current. Yes. And the south will be going, the, 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 white, the white ones will be going south because of the current. And so you'll get migration, advective migration. And it'll look vaguely like a selective advantage, but if you were to go down to Boston, where there's only white, and the white are moving into open area, then the white would have an advantage. I don't think they see the whole population moving, this is what I'm saying. So they have a population which is. If this is latitude, the population occupies some, some range of latitudes, and there is a boundary between the two populations which is moving. So this looks like a selective advantage. Right, but at the northern I'm not end, saying that the world population moves like this. But then you have sink. That is, they can only live over a certain range of latitudes. Yes. And so they're, they're yeah. advected I, I imagine. I imagine so. If, I don't yeah. know if they, if they, they observe all the way south. down, but, okay. uh, right, but I guess the, that's the way. But, but at the northern end of their range, you have a depletion because those guys are being advected south. So the blacks suffer just as much as the no, whites. No, the they, they, they keep, I mean, if they, these are not depleted. So it's, it's, it's small, it's not like the, the whole population. It's not passive advection, it's advection with reproduction, and yes. competition, exactly. whatever. Anyway, hmm. uh, the other paper we found which was you know, suggesting that these uh, things can be of interest also in, uh, in the open uh, ocean when, uh, where the process are more complicated is this uh, paper by Dovidio et al. Of, uh, in 2010, in which uh, they observe uh, density of uh, plankton uh, after uh, bloom. This is the uh, coast of Argentina. 
And uh, this is the usual uh, measure of chlorophyll, which basically tells you the total density of plankton. And you can see that it's uh, very intermittent. But they developed a method to uh, have a, a coarse um, distinction among different species. So essentially, what they can do is uh, they can distinguish from satellite imaging uh, the fact that different uh, species or groups of species of plankton have a slightly different color. So from these images, they can reconstruct uh, broad groups of species. And what they see is that... Do they that do it by pigment ratios, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. So there, there is some more? image analysis, uh, yeah, but it's, uh, it's related to pigmentation. And, um, and what they see is that uh, the density of the different species is strongly organized by the flow. In particular, this is the flow which is also can be detected by altimetry measures. And you can see there is a strong current here, for example, and there are these two big groups of species which are one on one side of this current and one on the other side. So, you know, their claim is that uh, clearly this, uh, you know, even if the biological processes which affect this population operate at a much smaller scale, the currents in the ocean can organize the distribution of the species up to these uh, very, very large scales. What about temperature? Do you have temperature map as well? Uh, no, no. But of course, for bloom, temperature is very important. There is a seasonality and there are all sorts of things. I mean, this is uh, for sure important. You're certainly going to show us this later, but I would have assumed that plankton are an extremely good passive scaler. The, the diffusion length of the plankton over a period of a year will be very, very short compared to the advection length of the plankton, and therefore, essentially, all you would expect to see is advection in these yeah. processes. Plus reproduction. Right, but even yeah. then, you're... Yeah. Still, the, the distance the plant and any individual plankton can move it through diffusion. They don't if they don't swim. Basically, they're stuck in a lo very localized region. So that you're simply passively responding to the environment that you're carried into at any given time. Well, there are uh, other things like are plankton neutrally buoyant. Depends almost. Then I don't think you can argue. So they can adjust the height active. That that they can do. That they can do. Right. They're photosynthetic, so they don't want to go down. Well, but if they float, then as long as they can't right. change layer, they're, they're still stuck. So, still some of them adjust uh, their, their depth during the, the day density, and night. They don't. density can vary depending on the, on the temperature of the water, the oxygenation of the water. And, and on the nutrients. I'll come to that in one second. And then there are some that swim, right? Seneca caucus swims yeah. by an unknown mechanism, but it effectively increases its, if it swims randomly, its diffusion constants increase by a factor of a thousand. Right. Yeah. Although, the thing is that plankton is a lot of things, so. <laughs> although, it's up to, again, you then the question is how fast they swim compared to the vector speed. I think that yeah. will come. I mean, one of the main things, you know, beyond that vection is also density of nutrients, which is a very inhomogeneous. So that also creates a... Okay. So I don't know if I need to go through these slides, but since uh, I'm presenting a slightly complicated models, I wanted to make a very, very basic uh, introduction of the mechanism which, uh, which enter uh, the model. So we talk about things that prob probably everybody knows, but it's just to be sure that everybody's on the same page. So uh, everybody's probably familiar with the concept of logistic growth. So this is the logistic equation, and it describes the fact that uh, 
you know, in a proper condition, a population grows uh, for a small density exponentially, and then it saturates. So you have uh, initial, essentially, the exponential growth is determined by this term. And then uh, at higher concentration, uh, uh, these terms become important so that uh, you, know, you, you reach uh, an equilibrium state, which is uh, A over, C over B. So this is uh, the um, carrying capacity of this uh, population. So something that it wasn't completely obvious to me, uh, but uh, of course uh, is, is obvious, is a very simple consideration, is that uh, uh, you can think of the logistic equation in two different, I mean, you can interpret it in two different ways. One thing would be uh, the growth of a population in, a, in, a, an empty, in an empty region, for example. And the other is uh, uh, the growth of a mutant in an existing population. So in one case, this would be a growth rate. And in the other case, you can think it of a small selective advantage, for example. Okay? So again, in, the, in one case, the, the background is the space you have available. In the other case, the background is the wild type. So let me add the space to this equation. And what we get is the Fisher equation, which is also very well known. So you can think of the Fisher equation in the same way. So you have a, a, a local dynamic, which is a logistic growth, plus diffusion in space. So now C is a density of, a, for example, a mutant population in space and time. And uh, this is how the density evolves. And if you simulate this equation, or you try to solve it analytically, uh, what you will find is that if you have a, an initial um, condition, this initial condition will grow up to one locally, and then it will spread in space. Okay? And the basic result uh, by Fisher and also by Kolmogorov and so on, which elaborated on, uh, on Fisher result, is that uh, you have um, an asymptotic uh, velocity of this front, which is given by this, uh, this formula. So it's the square root of two times the diffusion constant times S, which is in this case I want to interpret as a selective advantage of the mutants. So this will be the speed by which the mutant population invades the uh, population. And this is a result which is also used in a lot of other fields of physics in which uh, this kind of uh, reaction diffusion equations are used, for example, in combustion and so on. Everything clear, no? Simple stuff. So the next thing is that, of course, uh, an important aspect of population is that uh, the processes of uh, reproduction and death are, um, are stochastic because indeed are self-discrete. So uh, in, uh, depending on the numbers, it might be relevant to consider a description in which uh, I, don't have, I don't start with a continuous density, but I, I start by considering the discrete nature of individuals. And uh, one way to do it is the so-called stepping stone model, which was introduced by Kimura in the 60s. And essentially, I'm not going to write down all the reaction, but essentially you consider a linear array of uh, populations, each of a given size n. Uh, you have uh, two different uh, alleles, for example. One is uh, the wild type, and the other is the, is the mutant. And you consider a process in which, for, you know, at each same step, you kill one individual, you copy one of the other individuals in the, in the same uh, population, and then uh, you have uh, a process of diffusion, so you can uh, swap individuals among uh, neighboring populations. So you can uh, simulate this process, but uh, a very convenient thing to do is to consider the continuum limit. So you transform this process uh, again into a 
partial differential equation, but still keeping track of the of the number fluctuation, so of the, the effect of this uh, of this stochasticity. So if you do this limit, you you get uh, again uh, the the Fisher equation, in which again you, it enters the advantage of the population, one of the two populations you are considering. But you, you can uh, get also a noise term. So this is uh, you know, the first correction uh, due to noise, where now xi is a, is a white noise. So it's a partial differential equation in which you have a noise term. And uh, the amplitude of the noise is inversely proportional to n, which is the size of this uh, local population. So clearly, if this local population size is very large, then the noise term is less and less relevant. So uh, as a physicist, I like quite much this description because it contains everything in a way. So you can have uh, a diff everything I said before as a specific case in which, for example, you neglect the noise or you neglect the selective advantage and so on. Uh, but, you, for example, you can also get all the results of, uh, of uh, neutral theory, as I can show you in one second. We just go back to that in a second. I'm probably missing something, but why is the drift term linear? Why is that because it's... Well, what do you mean by linear? Well, Which that last term there. Genetic drift, are you asking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Linear in what? Well, it's directional, right? That's what you're saying. I think that's what that's saying. Direction? No, I don't. I don't. Okay, so uh, maybe I should say next. I mean, this is white noise. So the average of this this uh, variable. This is a variable whose average is zero, but fluctuates. Okay. So you, you can write this as a diffusion equation, and essentially you get uh, Kimura's diffusion. I guess I'm just. That must be glitching or something, but. Why, why is it a positive term? Why wasn't it, is it just zero? Uh, no, this can fluctuate and be positive or negative. Oh, random. This is a random variable. This is outside the square root, it can be plus and minus. Oh, yeah. okay. okay. Sorry. No, sorry. It's uh, a I question. No, it's a... Uh, Keep yeah. asking. <laughs> yes. So in this round, do you assume that the local population size n is fixed? Uh, yes. Yes. This is uh, quite important. <coughs> And this is actually why we cannot use it for um, for uh, uh, oceanic populations. I will, ask, I will tell you in one minute. Can you switch off? Yeah, thanks. Okay, so essentially, if I simulate this equation, um, one can think of two basic regimes: one in which uh, the selective advantage term dominates, and the other in which the noise term dominates. So if the selective advantage dominates, basically you, you are in the, um, you are seeing the Fisher waves. So if you start from a local uh, population of mutants, they will expand in space with a constant velocity which is given by Fisher result. In the opposite limit in which I can neglect this term, so the one over n is, the square root of one over n is uh, much larger than than the selective advantage, uh, you get a completely different dynamics in which uh, uh, each single island fixates locally. So you can have either one or the other which fixates stochastically. And then you have uh, the boundary between, uh, between the two species which, uh, which uh, diffuses. So these, these boundaries behave like random walks, except that when they collide, they annihilate. 
which means that the colony is uh, is uh, is extinct. So this is in a way a way to interpret uh, the, these experiments of you know neutral competition on uh, on plates. Then you eventually do complete fixation. Yes, essentially in in this picture you can understand fixation as the time for all these uh, random workers to to collide. So we have the Darwinist perspective of several days ago on the left, yes. and a Kimura perspective on the right. Yeah. And, and, and you can have think? everything in between. Essentially. You can interpolate between. What were the initial conditions on the left? It's um, it, it's something like a small uh, something like <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah, something like this. Yeah. So you have different you have different initial conditions on the left and the right. Yeah, here is, uh, here is a small bump in the middle, here is completely 50-50. What are these zigzag uh, spatial patterns that you see on the... Uh, good question. I guess it's, I guess it's numerics. Numerical artifact. Is that what that is? Okay. Yeah, there's no... There, there are a lot of <laughs> but, but the coarsening exponent on the right depends on the dimension in which you're embedding. You get different results in one dimension, two dimension, three dimension. Yeah. In three dimension, you don't even get fixation. I mean, everything is related to random walks. Uh, I mean, time of coalescence of random walks, essentially. Okay. okay, so we the nice thing one can uh, think to do is just take this equation and add the velocity field. So I have the diffusion term, the term corresponding to an advantage, the term corresponding to genetic drift, and then I can say that this population is also transported by some uh, velocity fields which takes into account all the possible effects, uh, uh, fluid flows, for example, the fact that these guys are swimming for food and so on. Okay? So the problem is that the kind of uh, field flows one uh, would like to consider should, should take into account a number of forces which are present into this problem. For example, the fact that, uh, uh, as I was uh, mentioning before, uh, nutrients in the ocean are not uh, homogeneously distributed because uh, they are related essentially to vertical currents. So you have uh, upstreaming uh, of, um, of nutrients from the bottom of the ocean and uh, downwelling uh, due to you know, downward uh, vertical currents. And then you can have a number of other effects uh, due to the fact that uh, uh, this uh, plankton has a finite size, so it tends to cluster and so on. So the result of all these, these effects uh, is that uh, you can have uh, a density of individuals that uh, exceeds one. Is, is, v, is V an independent variable, or is it just a v, v is a velocity field which can depend on time, and it's uh, put from outside. And it has nothing to do with C. It's not affected by C. No, no, not no. In, in, as a first approximation, yeah. We will, we will consider case in which it's not. If the pond scum got so dense that the flow solidified the pond, then it would affect. But in the simple model, But what I'm saying here is that uh, essentially, because the flow can clump particles together, in principle, I mean, depending on the choice of this velocity field V, you can have cases in which you overshoot your um, you know, standard carrying capacity that will be one in this case. And if C uh, goes, uh, becomes greater than one, this, uh, this, uh, the argument of this root becomes negative, and then you have an imaginary noise, which doesn't make sense. So essentially, this means that uh, you cannot use uh, this equation uh, in, uh, in these cases. 
Would you just add another term which would how you penalize you when you approach one? Well, it would be put by hand, uh, like. No, but there's a, that's a common model to have a cubic. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if that uh, that would be enough because, I mean, it depends on the coefficient. You can still have, uh, and then I, I wouldn't know why. I mean, why to put that? So, in order to understand what's going on and why this this thing doesn't work, we went back to basis and we said, okay, let's uh, avoid thinking about these uh, island models and consider a kind of model which is more similar to what one typically uses for uh, stochastic uh, chemical reactions. So you have particles which are uh, advected in space, and now it's not a, a, a linear array of islands, but it's a continuous space. So they can diffuse, they can be transported by flow, and then they undergo a number of uh, so-called chemical reactions, which in, uh, in this case encode for uh, birth and death processes. So, I have my two types, and they can reproduce at some rate, mu a and mu b, which are their birth rates. And uh, uh, they can die. And they, as a simple approximation, we say that they only die in the presence of competition, so when, uh, when they encounter other particles. And uh, to be fairly general, we consider uh, different uh, rates of competition when they meet a conspecific or a member of the other species, because this allows some variety and allows to consider some slightly more complex situation. So you have rates at which uh, uh, these particles are eliminated from, uh, from the simulation, depending on whether there is another particle, either conspecific or non-conspecific, in a, in a given neighborhood. Does it matter if the, the competition is put in, I mean, you could put it in the birth term instead of the death term, right? Uh, yes, I agree. No, it doesn't matter. I mean, this is one choice. The other thing we didn't consider is that uh, uh, particles can die by themselves. So in this case, they only die in the presence of competition, which is a bit of an artifact, which, because if you have a single particle, it never dies. But I mean, this is a possible choice. Any other is equally acceptable. And uh, we wanted to keep it simple, but not too simple. And we decided this is a reasonable set of. Uh, but, but I think it's fair to say it, it, it can matter. If, if the, the mu A's are out reproducing the mu B, the, yeah. the B species when they're dilute, it could be that under crowded conditions, there's an opposite that's like an advantage. So yeah. It can become quite rich and complicated depending on the choice of these six yeah. parameters. Right? Sort of a Lee effect of density dependent growth rate. One, one can add uh, all sorts of other terms, or uh, I don't know, more complex uh, <coughs> multibody terms, uh, public good uh, things, and so on. I, 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 maybe you can explain. I don't, I don't see how to put the competition in the birth because the competition depends on space, right? That is who your neighbor is. In birth, uh, this, this is just sort of, uh, he has this in space. I mean, it could be just competition for local nutrients and so on. Yeah. So the growth rate scales by the sum of the, mm -hmm. de of the densities rather than the separate densities. Okay, so if you simulate this model, you get something like this. So this is a case in which you don't have a flow, and I'm showing a one-dimensional system, and this is time. And this is a case in which we have a simple, uh, sketchy flow of, uh, of uh, with some property which are typical uh, of turbulence, but in 1D. And here I show you, you know, the, one of the experiments of neutral competition with. Uh, 
linear inoculation for comparison. So now I'm taking all parameters equal, so I, I'm in a situation in which the two uh, species are neutral. And you can see that in this case you get a similar result to essentially what you will get from a neutral competition. So you have this uh, segregation of domains and uh, diffusion of boundaries. The only difference respect to you know, the model I had before is that uh, you can see there is some uh, slight fluctuation of the total density. So with some probability you can have small gaps. And you know, of course the, the, the total density of individual is not, uh, is not exactly constant. And of course here you have a, you know, a dramatic difference in which you know, this field is strongly intermittent. And competition occurs in sinks of this velocity field. So th these particles are transported into the sinks and have to compete in the sink. And as a result of this uh, process, you get a fixation time which is much shorter. In this case, uh, one of the species is, uh, goes extinct after uh, 40 generations. So what do you mean by a sink of velocity field? The divergent? Yeah, it, it's uh, in 1D, you have, with something non-trivial, it has to be compressible. So I'm considering compressible velocity fields. Ah. Yes. Thus simulating a downwell in For example, the ocean with buoyant yeah. organisms. Well, the middle simulation seems to be quite different than the other simulations you showed before, which were had random walk boundaries. Well, here you can still say that the boundaries between the species is uh, fairly well described by random walk. And you can make this quantum. So it's more like one plus one dimensional directed percolation. I mean, it's got it, it's it's it got uh, what would you call it? backward uh, steps, and it's got. Uh, but directed percolation has one of the phases biased relative to the other ones, mm -hmm. so they can't be neutral. This is probably no. more like diffusion and levy flights or something superimposed, right? Because you have currents popping. Kind of I mean, this is quite similar to what you will get in the water model, which is essentially the same thing, but without uh, total density fluctuation. But I think it's and a reasonable it's question to ask, what are, what, what's that little green island doing? Sure. And there, these are not directed walks. The boundaries are going backwards, yes. as, as mm -hmm. uh, our illustrious chair is suggesting. So maybe if you coarse grain it, it could be. Oh, the, these kind of things. Uh, yeah, I, I guess it's also the result. This is not simple self-defined surface like you have for for uh, um, one, for uh, the space-time trajectory of a one-dimensional round walk. I guess there is also uh, some effect due to the uh, the size of the, I mean, to the figure itself, in the sense that uh, I guess here there, are, there is red, but uh, green is, I mean, the size of the dots might give the illusion that uh, this is not uh, but, but some yeah, of your fjords, I think what, what Greg is yeah. saying is some of your fjords are going backwards. Mm -hmm. um, the, the fjord in the upper middle, the red little red finger. Yeah, so if you look at the edge, the, the, the random walk is, is not unidirectional in time. It's, yeah, it's I, I, backtracking a little bit. I won't suggest what critical model it is, but it looks or like overhangs. an interesting critical mm -hmm. model that's, uh, you know, not just random walk. Yeah, I, I actually... Uh, I don't know uh, what I'm trying to say. How much is uh, due to the you know the fact to the picture, or how much these uh, you really have this kind of effect? I, but I it could think be. it's something that could be. Well, I mean, if you clusters, they're not compact, right? The, the green and red are on the pass through each other and so forth. So in I that mean, sense, it's different yeah. from 
if you look at correlation functions and so on, you don't find any difference from uh, water models and so on. So it's uh, okay. so so when you have a positive divergence in your velocity field, you're diluting your your density, right? Yeah. And when you have a negative when you have a negative divergence, you have increased competition, so your death rate goes up. Yeah. So essentially, the fact that you've got lots of white space is dominated by the fact that you're allowing divergence of the in the, in the process. If your diffusion constant is fast compared to that divergence rate, your diffusion time length, your diffusion effective diffusion velocity is fast compared to that divergence rate, then you look like the left side. And in the other case, you're, in the right case, you seem to be essentially entirely dominated by the, the divergence of the velocity. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I guess, where I, where I started. So I guess there must be now you'll show us some, some dimensionless numbers that allow you to tell us when you're in the regimes. Uh, yes. Well, I guess that in most cases in flows, uh, I would say you are dominated by the flow itself, not by diffusion. But, uh, that, I guess well, I mean, you'll probably get to this, but presumably the diffusion constant determines the width of those little spidery yeah. uh, sink yeah. uh, aggregations. Yeah. And that's going to have some effect on the fixation time. Yeah. And yeah. Carrying capacity. So just to, for the naive people, like maybe it's only me, but uh, <laughs> I'm still having a hard time understanding what all the turbulence <coughs> stuff is. Because I thought you, you showed these diagrams with Langer spirals or something like that. Is that going on in that? That's one dimension. Well, this is just one dimension. One dimension. So uh, I'm putting essentially a chaotic field in one dimension. So in each uh, in each point, there is a well, there is a velocity field which is determined by some uh, some model which has some of the properties like a power spectrum similar to actual turbulence. So it's a, it's a very, very sketchy model of so turbulence. it's just random, the, the velocity it, It's not really random, but it, you, know, you can think as a, it has some intermittence properties and... Uh, but, but a two-dimensional chaotic convecting velocity field is coming later in the talk. Yes. What is that? Okay. In the afternoon. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, the nice thing is that also for this model there is a, all a machinery to derive uh, equations for the density to, to see you know, what, what we are actually doing. And uh, if, if you do all this process of calculating uh, the, the equation for the densities of the two species, you get two coupled equations, one for one and one for the other. And uh, you have the velocity field, terms which are similar to, to the one we had before, so one accounting for diffusion one accounting for these birthdays processes with the rates which I put uh, in, the, in the equation. And the nice thing is that uh, you still get uh, a drift term, or a number fluctuation, where the amplitude comes with a plus. So you, I don't have any more this problem of, uh, of uh, the possibility of uh, imaginary noise. So I can be safe that whatever velocity field I put inside this model, everything is uh, well defined. Uh, I, I'll show you in the next slide. <laughs> so this is essentially an animation of, uh, of uh, the space-time plot I showed you before. So 
So maybe I should start it from the beginning. So if you start with a concentrated uh, density of particles, this invades the world space. Now I have a periodic boundary conditions. And then still they can overlap depending on the density, but you have essentially that the boundary uh, between these two species, which is not perfectly defined, but let's assume that it is, does some sort of random walk until these two points will coalesce, and depending if they coalesce like this or on the other side, the red or the green will uh, win. So this is again a, a neutral uh, situation. So the, to answer into your uh, question, essentially, this, if you look at the density locally, you will see something like this. So I start from here. I mean, both have low density. They will uh, quickly increase to CA plus CB equal to 1, which is this blue line. And then you will see some diffusion along this line with also some transverse fluctuations, okay? So the, the correspondence with the previous model was that the previous model was defined only on this line. So you can't have a, a fluctuation of the total density of individuals, okay? But if you define this model on, the, on, on this line and you look at the density of one of the two, when it overshoots one, it means that you are considering a negative density. So we had to start from the beginning with a two-dimensional model, so to say, in such a way that whatever you put in is uh, well defined. I mean, it's, I mean, thinking this uh, kind of dynamical, I mean, as a two-dimensional dynamical system is uh, is pretty obvious. And what you can actually do is to take this model, write the equation for the fraction of one of the two species, so C A divided C A plus C B, which is essentially the variable which which is moving along this line, a setting. Uh, the total density equal to 1, imposing that it's constant, and then you will get back uh, the previous model. So that's, that's the correspondence. So essentially what we did is something uh, quite simple. It's a generalization of the stepping stone-like model, the stochastic Fisher equation, in which you don't constrain the total density, but you allow it to fluctuate. Okay? Meanwhile, the red one. How did you make the plot on the right? You take a patch and you average over a small patch? Well, this is actually um, a mean field simulation, so it's, oh. uh, it's without space. But you can also do a local sim take a fraction. You will see something very similar, of course. So what, what you show on the right is happening locally, and then the patches are talking to each other, but you haven't shown them yeah. in this particular simulation. Yeah. So I guess I'm, I'm a little confused because the, I, if I take a patch on the simulation on the left, why aren't I seeing CB zero? Is, is this, I mean, I don't see any of the greens in, in a small patch there. Because it's almost fixated to the This one is fixed. Oh, it's already I see. Fixed oh, I see. It didn't stop. This yeah. was a late stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. why don't you okay. redo the movie and, and yeah, yeah. see lots of green? But I have many more. That was the answer. Thank you. <laughs> and that corresponds to fixation, I think, in the, the point uh, right. zero one. In the yes. upper left on the right. Yes, Thank that's you. what you're seeing a snapshot of. I switched the two species. Right, I think you're right. It has a lot of flavor. Dynamic perturbation has absorbing state. Yeah, we can talk about that. We, yeah. we talked a lot about that. <laughs> okay. Uh, another thing that we did to verify that, uh, uh, I mean, all the results of uh, classic. So just to back up a second, I mean, that, that's sort of a different kind of drift barrier than I was talking about yesterday, right? So. If that was like one realization of a process, an ecologist might be studying this and thinking that 
Yeah, you can think like that. Like, well, actually, this is probably even more what what you are aiming at. You're just summing up the dynamics over time. Yeah, yeah. It's this is probably even more uh, what you are aiming at because exactly. you know to to have uh, even um, clearer correspondence, I can consider uh, a case in which uh, I still consider all parameters the same, but uh, one of the two species has a slight uh, reproductive advantage. So this guy reproduces with a uh, with a rate mu times one plus s, and this guy reproduces at rate mu. And then I start with a small population of A, and I see when it got fixated. So of course there is a trade-off between uh, the fact of having an advantage and the fact that the initial population is very small. And of course, depending on the role of noise, uh, this will be able to spread through the population or not. And there is a... That's not a competitive advantage. Are you, are you going to get to that? It, what do you mean? It's, it's, it's a reproductive. It's a reproductive advantage. Yes. So you can do it in both ways. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you can calculate the probability of uh, of this mutant to win the competition game, and uh, you get a formula which is uh, surprisingly similar to what uh, to what you get for a well mixed population. So the probability of fixating is one minus the exponential of. Uh, you know, what enters here is the, essentially the integral of the initial uh, population, so the initial fraction of these uh, mutants. And then the, param the relevant parameter is the reproductive advantage times uh, the local population size. Okay? That's a prediction of Charlie Doring yeah. for one-dimensional studies. Yeah. So essentially what it showed is that you, you get a formula which is similar to Kimura's formula for a selective advantage, also for a spatial extended population. And the surprising thing of this, uh, of this formula is that it doesn't depend on spatial diffusion. So no matter what the diffusion constant is, you get, you get this result. And these are the simulations, and uh, th this blue line is the formula, so it looks like it uh, works um, pretty well. And what is N now? N is the, say, the equivalent of a local population size. So you, you have to uh, rescale from these individual densities to concentrations. And this rescaling factor, you can define it as a local population size. So it's a trick because in this case we don't have islands. It's not a, an island model. So the local population size is not really well defined, but you can define a typical uh, local density of individuals, which basically plays the role of a uh, local population size. And S is the selective advantage. Yeah. So N is not the total population. That's no, no, that's no. right. Very important. No, yeah. Oh, no, good, uh, good. Con sorry, I didn't uh, explain this. Uh. So that means it's harder to fix the mutation this structure. Well, I mean, if it was if it was a well mixed population, and would be the total population size, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, no, no, no. This would be always the local population size. No, but I, I think like system. Take the diffusion constant to. I think you're, I understand. I think yeah. I understand your question. If you take the diffusion constant to infinity, then it becomes well mixed, and the appropriate end there is the total population size, yeah, yeah, yeah. not merely the local density. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. If you have local fixation offense, yeah. and it might be different, one color here, one color there, and that's what makes the structure of the spatial structure complex and, and I think interesting. Yeah. Okay. So now what? If, uh, Put different coefficients on C A and C B. I mean that's the classic competition model in ecology, right? If B has 
more of an influence on A and vice versa than should normally lead to stability, but now you have a finite population size. Right. So what, what do you want to put? What do you want to have different? Uh, the competition. There. Yeah. Yeah. Then it will be different. Well, okay. We consider this case because it's very simple, and we have an analytical prediction. So we. But are, are you are you going to get to mutualism? Mm -hmm. Next slide. <laughs> I don't know. This. <laughs> you might get to mutualism if you like it. Yes, mutualism. <laughs> so uh, another case. Here we are still uh, in uh, the absence of flow. But another case which um, could be is interesting to study is the case in which uh, uh, there is some kind of mutualistic interaction between the two species. And at this level, uh, what we did is to simply say that uh, it, we took the parameters as in the neutral case, but you have uh, reduced uh, intraspecific competition. Did I say it right? Or interspecific? Inter so uh, each, each uh, species competes better, competes more with itself than with the other species. Or you can say the competition is the same, but there is some additional advantage of being in the presence of the, of the other density. And uh, to make things a little bit more general, we consider the possibility of these uh, advantages to be not necessarily symmetric. So the advantage of A to be in the presence of B is not necessarily the same of the advantage of B of being the present of A. So you have these two parameters, which tells you how much you deviate from the neutral uh, setting because of this uh, interaction. So I show you first what happens in a well-mixed system. So now CA is the total density. There's no diffusion. It's all in the same pot. But you have noise. And uh, you can think of this problem as a sort of um, potential well. So suppose you have uh, the fraction of A. Um, there is a sort of quasi-stationary distribution for, uh, for the fraction of uh, A individuals. And uh, the, the potential function looks like this. So if one of the two it goes extinct, these are two stable states. But there is a state in which the two coexist, where these two barriers are determined by epsilon A and epsilon B. So these barriers uh, are, uh, are quite high depending uh, on, uh, on the local population size. So if the local population size is high, these barriers are quite high. So it means that uh, you have this state which can uh, eventually will go to fixation, but it can survive for exponentially long times. Uh, this time can be actually estimated from uh, Kramer ray theory. And you get an estimate of this time, which is something like this. And what I show you here is that you know, if you do the simulation of this, uh, this well-mixed system, uh, and you wait 5,000 generations, which of course is a very long time, you will get that uh, a fraction of the, you know, in parameter space, there is a region in which uh, you didn't get uh, fixation, but you still have this, um, this uh, coexistence, this metastable coexistence of the two species. And these green lines are the predictions which are made from this formula putting this time, which is relevant. So if I would run the simulations much longer, this uh, metastable coexistence region will shrink. OK? And so I have, this, I isn't, this isn't really necessarily mutualism, right? It's just that they're incomplete competitors with each other. You can also think it as um, niches, for example. So they, they run on different resources. So they, so they compete. Yeah. One, they're not competing at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
it's uh, yeah, you can interpret it in different ways. Like the definition of heterozygosity is the average of CA times CB. Uh, is the probability of finding uh, taking two individuals and finding them different? So is that divided uh, by two CACB divided the total uh, yeah. population square? Fine. So if I do the same uh, in uh, in space, uh, this uh, metastable state becomes actually stable. So if you run the simulation in a fairly extreme case in which these two epsilon a and epsilon b are very large, 0 0.7, so it means they almost don't compete with each other, you find a state in which uh, this uh, genetic segregation is basically suppressed. So you don't really form domain, and you keep uh, with, the two, with the two species coexisting together for an indefinitely long time. And you can uh, analyze this, uh, this case and find um, the region uh, of, uh, of this epsilon A, epsilon B plane in which this coexistence is possible. And you find something like this, more or less like before, but in this case it's a stable coexistence region. And um, in the language of critical phenomena, you can think of this as a non-equilibrium phase transition with some uh, uh, critical exponents, which is in this case are really given by directed percolation. And here I can show you, I show you uh, after a long simulation, the fraction of uh, population of one of the two species along these cuts. So in this case, uh, it's either one or the other that wins after a long time. Same in this case. And in this case, you have this, this behavior, which is quite reminiscent of a critical uh, phenomenon. So it's zero, and then you have a sharp increase. And you can also try to measure a critical exponent there. I'm not showing the. It's a line of second order critical points? Is that what you're showing? It's a line of second order uh, critical points, yes. There are two of them, and they yeah. come together at a bicritical point. Yeah. Oh, I see. And that's yeah. the box? Yeah. yeah. I'm just, just a little fuzzy then. Does that, uh, the structure of that plot on the left, uh, vary with the diffusion constant? This is just one for one specific uh, diffusion? I think it does. It does, yeah, I think the so. The shape will change gradually as you change the diffusion constant. Yeah. We didn't do a um, systematic analysis of this because simulations, the simulations are very computationally expensive. So we just made a few cuts to have a, you know, an idea that uh, this is uh, the picture. I mean, these kind of things are better analyzed in uh, lattice models. In this paper has been studied. Because, of course, this continuous simulation, you have to uh, detect when uh, the other particle is around you and so on. So from the numerical point of view, are a bit more difficult to perform. Pointed out, if the diffusion constant goes to infinity, you, you, you have to go back to the field. Yeah. It has to change. Yeah. yeah. So now I move uh, to the case with uh, flows. The first thing I show you is uh, what happens if you have a linear velocity field. So you have a one-dimensional system, and the velocity is simply proportional to the distance to the center with a minus sign. I show you because it's a curious case in which uh, you get this sort of state. So uh, the two species are neutral, but uh, they are both advected towards the center, and you get uh, this uh, coexistence state in which you have one, one species to the left, the other species to the right, and they never they never get fixated. 
Well, again, it's going to depend essentially on the diffusion quantum speed of the boundary compared to the velocity of the flow. Absolutely. So if uh, if exactly if you have a large uh, diffusion constant compared to this k, this boundary has a finite probability of uh, jumping at the end of the population and. Uh, and you get fixation, but if the diffusion constant is sufficiently small compared to this force, then the boundary will be completely localized. So the funny thing here is that uh, uh, if you run the simulation many times, you will have, uh, I'm sorry this, this figure came out a little bit uh, blurry, but uh, there is an initial stage in which you start having this uh, segregation, so you started forming these boundaries. And uh, whether you create, I mean, the number of boundaries you create is, uh, is random, it's stochastic. So if you create an even uh, number of boundaries, they can annihilate pairwise, and you can have a fast uh, fixation. But if you enucleate an odd number of boundaries, they start annihilating pairwise, and there will be one surviving, which, which is in the center. And then you get this uh, very stable state. So uh, it's quite funny because if you look at the distribution of fixation times, you will have half of the realization of this process, which have a very short uh, fixation time, just a few generations, because this process of this boundary collapsing is very fast. And half of this generation, which the process is stable. Here uh, I show you, I just stopped uh, the simulation after uh, 1,500 generation, but this is actually continuing. Uh, it's impossible to simulate until when it's stable to all practical means. So if you, have a, if you want to do an estimate based on neutral theory, you would say that, okay, the, the number of generation it takes uh, to, to fixate uh, should be proportional to the number of particles because it's neutral. You get something like here, which has basically doesn't give you any information about what happens in, uh, in this sort of system. Okay? And this looks pretty robust. Uh, we tried also a case in which. Uh, well, an average is the. Does it. An average is the. It's just the distribution of. Uh, the average, I cannot tell you the average because these are basically stable. So I, I don't know how long, uh, how long this is going to survive. It's something related to the diffusion constant because if you, take, if you take it quite small, you will never see this boundary you know, diffusing enough to. to invade all the population. So, uh, so th this is a neutral simulation. It's neutral. Correctly. Yeah. So the bound, but the boundary that looks like it's slightly displaced to the right. Again, is the is the plot. Artifact? Yeah, there are red red below. It's yeah. I tried all possible ways to <laughs> plot it better. Um, and this this is quite robust. Also, if you have a selective advantage, so you can uh, start thinking if I, if one of the two reproduces. Uh, faster, then they will try to invade, they will, but uh, the velocity field will push the boundary backward. And there will be an equilibrium point in which uh, the speed of the Fisher wave is exactly the speed of the velocity field. So the boundary will still be localized, but not exactly in the center. And of course, you can calculate this uh, displacement uh, from, uh, from the speed of the Fisher wave. So we are thinking if this, I don't know if this can be realized experimentally by putting a neutral variance or you know, two variants of an organism in a, for example, in a micro pipe or something and have a flow and a semi-permeable membrane to see if one can create this boundary. Of course, it's quite complicated because one has to run this thing over 
a number of generations and uh, clearly it's not, not so easy. Probably one has to have a very slow control flow, but perhaps it's not an impossible thing to do. So are you, are you really in the low noise limit here for the Fisher waves? Square root instead of linearly. Yeah, yeah. Basically, everything I'm saying today is uh, weak noise. I'm not uh, considering uh, strong noise uh, phenomena. If you have, uh, if you go really in the strong noise regime, the first thing you will see is that. Uh, uh, they will be much stronger in homogeneities in the density. So you start forming really big gaps. Uh, of course, this is not uh, irrelevant. I mean, it can be very relevant. But uh, we started somehow in the, in the simplest case, also because in the strong noise limit, uh, the macroscopic equation I showed before is not valid. Because uh, you, can't, you can't make the hydrodynamic assumptions and so on. You don't have a large number of particles, an homogeneous scale and so on. So, so it's, uh, it's certainly interesting, and there are papers which have been trying to study this case, but it's hard to... <laughs> I mean, we started from this case not because it's the most interesting, but because it's where you can really have some more chance of understanding what's going on. Okay. So then, uh, now uh, we, we tried another thing, which is a simple wave. So in this case, uh, we don't have this uh, strange phenomenon as before because uh, we put periodic boundary conditions. So at the end, you always have an even number of boundaries, and you always you only get the fast uh, fixation. But uh, we did it because we wanted to understand uh, what determines the fixation time in this case. In this case, we clearly can can see how the fixation time is uh, distributed. And uh, maybe you can say they are all completely static. These yeah, yeah, of course, this is uh, not time dependent. We I mean, we 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 are only studying uh, by now not time dependent fields. And essentially, all these fields are are localizing, uh, as James was saying before, are, are localizing the particle uh, close to a sink. And a way to understand what the fixation time is is that okay, there will be a typical gradient around the sink. So if what seems uh, clear from the simulation is that what uh, determines fixation is that this, uh, this velocity field is transporting all the boundaries between the two variants in the sink, and then once they annihilate, it's over. Okay? So if this is true, uh, the fixation time should be uh, determined by the time it takes for these boundaries to, to collapse. Okay? So if they are transported with this, uh, with this, uh, from this field, you will say that uh, the fixation time is an initial time, which is the time to start this nucleation process, plus something which goes like 1 over k, which is uh, the solution of uh, x dot equal this. And uh, if you to plot this formula against the simulation, it fits really well both in the case of the sine wave and in the case of the synthetic turbulence that I showed you before. And here, I'm not showing it as a function of the forcing, but as a function of the actual number of particles compared to n, which is this variable. 
because uh, because it's uh, in this in, plotting in this way, I can compare it with the neutral prediction. That is that uh, the fixation time should be just uh, a number of generation equal to the number of particles. That is this black line. So this is uh, this clarifies the fact that even if the particles are localized, the process is not like in a well mixed situation. So if it was a well mixed situation, I would see this, but I see something in which the fixation time is determined by the flow, not by by genetic drift. Okay? But in some sense, I mean, can this be translated into an effective population study? This, this whole low regime spatial thing is reducing the. Well, but, but, but this, is, this is actually the effective population size. So what I'm putting here is the real number, not the... So I'm counting how many particles I have, and, uh, and this is uh, this black line. So I'm plotting here as a function of the actual number of particles, just to show that, that it's, not, it's not an effective population size. I'm seeing something which is different. And what you call turbulence with velocity in this case? What you call turbulence? Um, uh, different things. Actually, mostly it's uh, shell models. So it's uh, again, it's, it's like before. It's a uh, dynamical systems which creates a one D velocity fields which has the same power. It has a Kolmogorov spectrum and so on. So one D compressible. Yeah. and it's compressible. So, so since you can make any velocity field out of adding signs together, right? Yeah. And sorts. Yeah. What happens when you add more sinusoidal? Functions to this, you know, velocity field. Well, I mean, this is, this is a. I realize it's nonlinear, but the, but is there any uh, like if I had a sum of two signs, would I get anything interesting or what? Uh, well, I mean, approach kind this of? seems to suggest that what really matters is the gradient around these things. I see. Because uh, I'm putting all sort of uh, different uh, velocity fields, and I don't see. Okay. Significant differences. But the way you think about it is, of course, it, it, yeah. I mean, as you say, is, is you look for sinks. Each sink has an effective population size due to collapse and, and, and the competition locally. Um, but the fixation time doesn't follow the simple thing you might guess from that effective yeah. population. Yeah. But that must be because there's variance in. Right, but I think the thing that, that's deviate that's causing the, the most deviation, if I understand what you said earlier, Simone, is that you get these interfaces. Yeah. For example. Now maybe that's that's a peculiarity to one dimension that you get a stable interface. So that changes the fixation time in a way that uh, you wouldn't have guessed, even though it looks like it might be all mixed. I mean, what could, it could be that also one can see this thing as a even reduced effective population size. So you say the population size is this, but the effective population size is something lower. But I wouldn't be able, to, I wouldn't know how to calculate it. So I, in this way, I have an idea of what's going on. Perhaps one can interpret it also in that way, but uh, I, I wouldn't be able to do that. So now I'll show you a few QD cases. Uh, 2D is uh, particularly interesting and painful at the same time because uh, the um, coarsening process is very, very slow. And this is because uh, all these uh, fixation processes are related to random walks. And uh, two dimension of random walks is the critical dimension. 
So one can, for example, demonstrate that the density of these boundaries decays like 1 over square root of t in one dimension, but only on as 1 over logarithm of t in two dimensions. So as a result of this, uh, it looks like in this movie nothing is happening. But, pass uh, forward. Can you see something? I'll just go back from the beginning. Right? Need a computer that works in logarithmic time. Yes. <laughs> no, I wanted to do it in linear time because I think it's good to have an idea of the pain it takes. <laughs> but the boundaries aren't even random walks, and two of these are random surfaces. Yeah, exactly. I mean, of course. Uh, it's hard to make this analogy with random walls. But still, you know, this prediction is based on random wall kind of arguments. So the probability of doing, you can think in terms of coalescence, essentially. Right. So we, we studied some um, uh, cases of two-dimensional flows. This, this is, is a Prasad simulation? Yeah, Prasad did these uh, simulations. So here uh, we have um, this simple static circular flows. And these two cases is one in which uh, there is uh, no compressibility, and basically nothing particularly interesting happens. And, uh, and I com we compare it against a case of um, very, very small compressibility, where the compressibility is defined as uh, essentially the, the modulus of the divergence of the flow divided the typical uh, gradients. And you see this, this this result. So even a very, very small uh, compressibility alters completely the picture and makes the population collapse. Again, of course, this depends on the diffusion constant and so on. But it, but so it's, uh, it's harder to, uh, I'll just finish, to interpret this result uh, as a terms of gradient, but we see a similar phenomenology. So the, you see a reduced uh, population size and a much reduced uh, fixation time. But the fixation time now, I think, in 2D would be fairly conventional if you use the effective population size. There's the, you, don't, you don't see walls here and yeah. Uh, yeah. remarkably long-lived states. Yeah. So then I think a conventional picture uh, for the sink probably would, would make sense to reduce population. So Pratad made also this very nice simulation. So in this case, uh, it's uh, real turbulence. So it's a three-dimensional simulation of Navier Stokes, and it took one, one slice. So it's like uh, uh, you can, can consider this organism as staying at a, at a given level of a three-dimensional real uh, turbulent flows. And you can see that uh, you, as an as, as outcome of the fact that they are confined on a fixed surface, the effective field they see is compressible, and so they are squeezed into filaments where competition takes place. And uh, yeah, of course, the dynamics in this case is uh, much more complicated. Uh, before concluding, I only want to show you one last uh, uh, problem that one can explore uh, with, uh, with this kind of model. There is uh, the, the effect of having two populations having two different diffusion constants. But there is something. something Carrying capacity with the number of bacteria. Yeah. It seems to be tremendous to reduce by yeah. reduce the flows. Yeah. That's a very general result. Yes. Yes. It looks like for all flows. That's a prediction. Is it is it verified? Uh, how do we verify it? Well, you can, for example, go into this uh, what you saw, these estuaries where you have uh, 
where you have flows of plankton. And you can measure the density of plankton there. You can compare the density of plankton if the, if, uh, the, the water was stick, stick still. You know, if you put if you put a cage around that and you, and you keep uh, you, you 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 stop the flow there, uh, would would the plankton grow to a higher density? It's, it's so striking. Yeah. If, if I if I would put a cage and you block all fluids in the, in the middle of your estuary uh, next to Boston, would the plankton grow grow much higher, or would it remain the same density? What you say is correct. That would be a very striking result. Should yeah. do it in the lab. I mean. <laughs> I agree. Okay, it would be very nice to test it. <laughs> Let's go over to the Devereux Slough and test it. <laughs> it's just to the west of Ivy. But, but you know, uh, David, that uh, even uh, inert passive floater particles sitting on a tank, as has been studied by Walter Goldberg, exhibit not a, a uniform density as a result of the underlying turbulence in the 3D tank, but striations and, uh, and clumping. And if you add to that population uh, dynamics, you'll get I think it, it has to be true, but it would certainly be nice to test it. Yes, uh, I was thinking, uh, my last topic is one, one other problem that one can explore within this, uh, this model. Uh, it's the fact of having uh, two species which uh, have the uh, same birth rate, same birth rate, completely neutral, but they have uh, two different uh, diffusion constants. So one simple thing one can consider is that if you have two colonies that expand, and they have two different uh, diffusion constants. Well, there, of course, they will expand uh, differently because they have two different uh, Fisher wave velocity. So the one that has a larger uh, diffusion uh, will dominate because of this. But uh, the problem could be a little bit different if uh, there's no empty space and the two populations compete uh, in an already crowded environment. And I'll show you what happens. So this is the similar to the neutral case I showed you before. That's with logarithmic? Yeah, with the logarithmic uh, time. And here you have the red uh, individuals that diffuse 5% faster. These generations. Same, same reproduction rate? Same reproduction rate, same competition, everything is neutral apart from this uh, difference in diffusion. And you can see that in this case, uh, after a relatively short time, a few hundred generations, uh, the red is completely overcoming the population. Uh, of course, if I increase this to some 10 or 20 percent, this advantage becomes uh, huge. Okay. So, to understand what's going on, uh, well, we did a number of simulations also with flow, and we saw that uh, this is. Uh, this is true in 1D and 2D, and it's actually much, much stronger in two dimensions, this effect, than, uh, than in one dimension. So here is uh, the probability of fixating when they have equal population in the beginning, neutral, and so on, as a function of the relative uh, difference in diffusion constant. And this is a simulation with without flaws and so on. So it looks like it's a, it's a fairly general uh, process. 
And the other thing which is quite interesting is that this is a genuinely stochastic effect. So if I increase the local population size, I mean, it's a sort of local population size, it's a coefficient 10, the, the growth of the, the average growth of the fraction of population which has a large diffusion constant becomes lower and lower. So this is n equal 1,000, n equal 2,000, 1,000, and so on. So we have a, uh, this is still a work in progress, but we have a, uh, some sketch of a theory which is based on uh, the usual idea. So if I now write uh, the equation for the re relative fraction of one of the two species and I neglect uh, the fluctuation of the total density, I get uh, this equation which looks uh, more or less like uh, uh, the Fisher equation, but instead of a, a selective advantage, I have this term which involves diffusion. So it's a sort of preferential diffusion term in which the constant in front is this, is this uh, difference in the diffusion constant. The background so, diffusion constant has been set equal to 1 here. There's, sorry, no, there is a D here. I always forget to put it here. <laughs> uh, so you can demonstrate that the average of this term is positive. So this is, uh, corresponds to a selective advantage. And you can do a perturbation theory around the neutral case so when this is 0 that you can solve. I mean, you can calculate uh, how this grows to estimate uh, the importance of this term. The, this perturbation theory doesn't really fit perfectly this data, but uh, predicts a number of things. For example, how this, uh, this uh, advantage will depend on the local population size. So you have a scaling formula which is something like this, which seems to fit pretty well uh, the data. So if I plot uh, the, the increase divided by n times uh, against the time divided the n squared, then all this curve collapses into into a single uh, a single curve. That's yes, two D. Sorry, This is one D. It's a hypothesized scaling function. It's a scaling function. It's a sum. It's some scaling. Yeah. Theorem, yeah. Fine. Okay. It's a complicated function. And then this is in two dimensions. The no, this is one dimension. This is one dimension. We did everything one dimension because it's simpler to. I mean, Com computationally. Yeah. No, uh, analytically simpler. Okay. But I, I guess what you're saying is that you could have guessed the form like this just based on very general, uh, you know. No, well, well we did, uh, uh, I mean, we, we calculated this in perturbation theory, and we have a long expression that I don't write. No, no, I mean, I mean, the, I, I, I mean without specifying what G is, the scaling form. Just the, yeah. It's a scaling exactly. function with exactly. just from dimensional analysis. I mean, we, we, can, we can write the scaling function explicitly, but it's a complicated function. And you're saying you actually can compute G? Yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay, I tend to conclude. Well, conclusions are that uh, we saw that flows can radically change the outcome of competition, even in the case of uh, very simple flows. And also that this model in which uh, we relaxed the assumption of uh, having a total density can lead to some new surprising results, even uh, when uh, we don't add uh, fluid flows to it. And uh, conclude here, thank you for your attention. I was struck by the difference between these one-dimensional systems and the two-dimensional ones. And uh, David said uh, this is primarily due to the existence of walls or, or interfaces that you are just 
very long-lived? Is, is, that, is that the idea? That the well, we should see what Simone has to okay. say. <laughs> uh, but I, I mean, is that... Is That's the fixation time. For the fixation. Yeah, I mean, fixation yeah. time, I think... My intuition is something like, is that something to cancel? But if you have a very extreme case in which you have a sink, mm -hmm. a flow which is yes. something like this. So we have seen that if you have this thing in one dimension, you have a sink, and then you have your population, total population which has some distribution, and you have boundaries inside which collapse into this sink. Right? But if you have the same in uh, two dimensions, then uh, depending on the density, the, on the diffusion constant, you will have uh, some uh, distribution of the population. And now the boundaries are not necessarily advected uh, into the sink because they can stay parallel to the, to the flow and diffuse uh, in an angular way. So you can actually simulate this, this, uh, this field and you, you see this kind of uh, slice of pi, which <laughs> with the size becomes uh, diffusively. So you're saying I, in, in two dimensions I can get phenomena that look like the one? I, I, I didn't understand the point. No, what, what I'm saying is that you, you have something similar, but yeah. uh, this, this kind of uh, dynamics doesn't determine necessarily fixation because you have an additional oh. degree of freedom, which is uh, the radial degree of freedom where you don't necessarily have this compression. Stagnation points are very common two-dimensional flows. It's well known. I think Howard Berg uh, often notes that if you want to find where bacteria are, you look at the stagnation points because that's where you yeah. find very high densities. Yeah, but then again, you it's not clear that you will uh, fixate there for this reason. So if you have an extended uh, density, you still have another degree of freedom. One thing you might want to look at in, in the future is, uh, you know, put some other genetics into the model. So we actually did some work on this many years ago, but never did the math, really nice math that you're doing. Uh, but what can happen, depending on the time scale, you get this patchiness, of course, and um, you'll get regions where the local effective population size, is, you can use that term loosely, is, is low for a while. And you can accumulate deleterious mutations in this region. Mm -hmm. And it makes it sort of a transient sort of sink. And you get this fitness landscape that fluctuates all around, just like your, your genotype landscape. Uh, even though the underlying ecology you might view as being constant, you, know, you, you get this yeah. fluid sort of landscape. So if you were an ecologist and I took a snapshot, you'd think that there's some interesting ecology underlying the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Of course, uh, we didn't put any mutations or uh, anything, but it would be interesting to start uh, adding also this ingredient. Yeah. If people are around next week, I may talk a little bit about some stuff that came out of Andrew Murray's lab, where he made these uh, complementary yeast strains. One overproduces leucine, but can't make tryptophan, and then there's a complement that does the reverse. And uh, it'd be very interesting to set up a fluid mechanics uh, version of that with, say, bacteria, uh, 
and see how well they play together uh, with these sinks and collapsing lines and there's, there's saddles. It's, yeah, it's very rich, I think. So the planter guys have worried about this for ages. There's an old paper, very old now, I guess maybe, I don't know, but that Hutchinson wrote called yeah. Paradox of the Plankton. Yeah. Why do so many species of plankton coexist? Yeah. This seems to provide a potential solution that wasn't even being thought about at the time because it was, as viewed as all, really sort of a homogeneous environment with and, and this uh, issue of spatial structure really wasn't yeah. regarded as this paper on the wiki because it's very famous. Yeah, yeah. Paradox of the plankton. Yeah. Yeah. It means many things to many people. Yeah. <laughs> Rick, could I answer one? You said sum of signs. A shell model is roughly a sum of signs in one day. That's true. Yes. Yeah. And then uh, the big stagnation point from the big wave is very persistent. Yes. Then I said. Okay. This, right. this last phenomenon you showed with the the type with the higher diffusion displacing the other type. I'm wondering if that's not an example of what Hamilton May showed in 1975 in their paper on the evolution of dispersal. So it's that the dispersing type is getting away from its natal patch and not competing as much with its own type, and therefore, therefore displacing other types instead of others of its own type. I don't know if it's the same thing, because uh, in this case it's irrelevant whether you are close to your own type or not, because I'm assuming they are completely neutral. So it's not. I mean, if, if there was a, a difference between interspecific and intraspecific competition, I would agree with you. I mean, uh, of course, there is a clear. Do you agree with that? Well, their, their model worked in the absence of any selective advantage, and simply that you're, you're in a population where you have to displace somebody if you're going to survive. You don't want to displace your own type, and if you move away, you're more likely to displace somebody else. It would be great to get a I don't know if reference. Okay. Yeah, I, I would like. Nature 1975. Okay. okay. That on the wiki also. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Yes. So let me get this straight. So un under the terms you're using with neutral, you assume the possibility of competitive exclusion between two species. And with mutualism, you're assuming that they don't, that competition is reduced, and so that they don't necessarily have as much of a potential to competitively exclude each other, correct? Yes. Okay, so but that's, that's, that's more of an outcome, it's not a definition. Yeah, so it's kind of an interesting use of terms because if you're, if you're assuming two species uh, have the potential to competitively exclude each other, that is um, something that you don't see that often in nature unless the species are basically overlapping exactly in their niche. Uh, you know, something that's closely, you see it most often in closely related species that are, you know, not very far uh, apart phylogenetically. Um, so it's just a very uh, rare phenomenon. When you're talking about... So what is a rare phenomenon, do you think? Different species... Uh, having the potential to competitively exclude each other. So that might be negative epsilon A and a negative epsilon B in your model, right? One is poisoning the other, for now, example. Now, where you see this, example? so where you might see competitive exclusion with different species is where continents come together. You have totally different faunas that have been 
evolving into different niches, uh, but you know, analogously, and you know, one South American, North America collide, you know, come together. And there is also an ambiguity in the model in the sense that uh, yeah. since uh, we don't put mutations or anything like this, one can consider these two competitors either as uh, two species or as, uh, for example, one mutant and one wild type. Yeah, so that, that case is, uh, you know, it's simply stating uh, whether you have a mutation that can get fixated. So it's yeah, when, when you're thinking know, in terms of range expansion of a single species, and you're thinking in terms of two neutral genetic variants, um, I think the model is, is a lot more uh, precise to, to the question of whether this is neutral or selective. Okay, when you're talking about two different species in nature, um, and, and you're asking the question of why do these things have their distributions? Um, you know, one approach to the people take to asking that question, answering that question, is to do trait-based models. We look at all the traits of the species. You have a phylogeny, and you map the distribution of the species along with its traits and compare that up to the other species that are it's related to, and you see how its traits map to distribution. Okay. Yeah. So it's a totally different, there, here's another way of looking at it. Um, two species, two different species that are not really closely related are gonna be very different in a lot of traits. Not yeah, that, right? I agree. Whereas uh, within a single species, if you just have one gene and you're, you're wondering about this, how this allele spreads, and it's on the background, you know, the same genetic background. I mean, basically you're talking about two things that can be totally neutral and only, there's basically no difference between yeah, them. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's, I mean, uh, of, now, co of I mean, course. The exception to that is if you have spatial population structure and, and, and the genetic background is different on expanding front or something like that. Yeah. I mean, of course, I, I would say that uh, in this there is a, a continuum of possibilities, right? I mean, you can go from uh, one base pair substitution to two completely different species in which you really have to take into account uh, traits and so on. And in the middle you have, uh, of course I'm not talking about the extreme in which uh, you have to consider the whole ecology, otherwise I can't clearly make a simple model like, uh, like I'm doing. Yeah, but for example in the, case, in the case of plankton there are some species of plankton which are photosynthetic, are small, green, they don't do, they are transported, they don't do really much. So. Even if they are different species, probably you know, using the same language of population genetics is not that terrible. But your point about colliding continents is that that's a common situation, or common, it's a situation where uh, two different species would be fighting out for the same niche. Yeah. Two in the same niches. You have competitive exclusion. Yeah. yeah. That's what you call competitive exclusion. Okay, good. Thank you. Okay, uh, if there are no other questions, uh, we'll break now. Uh, we, we'll be back, uh, we have talk at 1.30. Is it here or auditorium? Auditorium.